Well, good morning, everybody. So glad you guys have joined us today. I was thinking this week about a time in my life when I was really full. And uh, so go with me back right after, actually in the middle of college, right before my senior year, I felt like the Lord was calling me to take uh, some time off of school. So I took a year and a little bit more off of school and uh, went to do missions work in Russia. This is right after the the Berlin Wall came down. And so uh, Russia and all the other Soviet bloc countries were, uh, they, they had been closed to anything of God, really, for, for decades and decades. And this is the first time that, like, suddenly the borders were open, missionaries could come in, could, people could come and bring uh, the gospel and talk about Jesus and talk about new life in him for the first time. So it was an exciting sort of era. All kinds of uh, Christians swept in, and like I said, I felt like a call to go do that. Um, this was in the, in the early to mid-90s. And so uh, I remember doing that. Um, we, I went and talked to a couple of my friends into going with me. We were there for about, I don't know, 15, 16 months, something like that. And, uh, and it was a great experience. We got to see a lot of people come to Christ. We got to see all, God do all kinds of cool work and, and all that kind of stuff. One of the things, one of the downsides of that era uh, for me and for us is that I didn't really eat very well. Uh, we, we were kind of too busy. I mean, we were like 20 year old, 20, 21 kind of, and it was a lot of work. They had food available, but it was still like go to the market and, or go to a specific, go to a bread store to get bread, go to the cheese store to get cheese, go to the milk store to get milk. You had to go to each one of these individual places. If you wanted to go to meat, get meat, you had to go to the market. They'd like flip a sheep, a sheet back that was like covering animals and like hack pieces of meat out for you. So we didn't really eat meat for like the entire year. We were like, I, I'm, I'm good, thanks. I mean, that's really okay. But it was, it was crazy. And so we didn't really want to spend that much time or energy or whatever to really eat well. So we didn't. Um, we, we ate, mostly we lived on bread and cheese. For a season, I remember we bought this like 20 or 25 pound box of crackers that sat in the corner of our room. And anytime me and my two roommates were hungry, we'd go and get some cheese out of the fridge because we'd buy it kilograms at a time. We'd buy huge amounts of cheese, go slice up some cheese, and we'd have it on crackers. And like that was our meal probably like five nights out of six. That was what we'd have for supper. When I came back, my mom was seriously, uh, my mom was seriously concerned about me. It's the thinnest I've ever been. And I don't mean that in a good way. It was like skin and bones. She was super worried uh, about me and uh, about us. But it's like I said, that was one area that we just didn't uh, serve ourselves or, or lead ourselves particularly well. I can remember there's lots of times Sunday afternoon or sometimes at night, we'd be sitting there just waiting to fall asleep. And somebody might say, oh, I'm thinking about a steak from, you know, or whatever, like chicken. What about you guys remember getting pizza and whatever? And, you know, we talk about that. We were, we were kind of dreaming about and longing uh, to be filled with some of the food that we had uh, grown accustomed to back in the States. Well, I remember uh, we'd probably been there, I don't know, six or eight months, quite a while, uh, when one of our teammates, their parents came uh, to visit. And in the, they probably saw how we were eating and how we were looking. And they were like, they decided they want to take the entire team out out for a meal. And so they found this place in the middle of St. Petersburg, Russia, again, in the early 90s, that was sort of like an American all-you-can-eat buffet, okay? I mean, like, it was, it was amazing. So we, we hopped on a bus. You had to take a bus, and we, we went through the city, our whole team. We got off. We walk in, and it was like the angels sang, light came down from heaven. I mean, it was like there was like three huge buffets. Like, one was like salad bar, like, and I mean, it was like 
everything salad bar, right? I mean, it just went on and on, and there's all kinds of fruits and veggies and stuff you can throw on top of that, and you're like, oh, man, that was awesome. The next one was, like, uh, main courses and sides, and it, like, you know, it's something like what heaven's going to be like. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was amazing, and then they had one that was designated for desserts, right? And you're like the whole thing, like dessert bar. I'm like, this is my kind of place. And so we sat down and they, they pay, you know, the, the person, the teammate's parent kind of dad basically said, you guys just, I mean, help yourselves get as much as you want, whatever, you know, this is all you can eat buffet. It's on me. Enjoy. And so we went through and I remember we, we went and, uh, went through, you know, I started, we're supposed to, just to kind of check the box. I started at the salad bar. You're supposed to do that. I did it, right? Like, so I went and put a little bit of salad on my plate, some, some cheese and croutons and some veggies and stuff on top of it. Went back, ate it. I'm like, okay, that's out of the way. Now let's bring on the main course, right? So I can remember, I, I went through and I got, they had like ham and like chicken and potatoes. And I mean, I'm getting all this kind of stuff, fill up the plate, come back. And all of us, it's, it, we're just sitting there going, Oh, that's so good. You know, we're eating and eating and eating. And I'm like, I'm, I'm going back. <laughs> like, I don't know about you, but it's so we all of us went up again. And then we went up at third t- a third time. And then at some point, it became a competition, right? We're uh, three uh, 20-something-year-old guys. And it kept turning into this competition. And we ate. I ate more than I've ever eaten in my entire life. It just tasted so good. Nobody wanted to stop. And I'm not one to want to lose. <laughs> and so we kept eating. By the time we were done, all of us had a minimum of 12 plates stacked up next to us, including a couple trips to the dessert bar, which I might say, was quite good. And I, <laughs> I have, like I said, I have never been so full in my life. And I don't necessarily share that in a good way, right? But we were, we were full. I had been craving and dreaming and longing to fill my, my stomach, my gut with, uh, with food from home. And it just, it felt so, it was so nice to sit there and we enjoyed the company we ate. In fact, it was so, <laughs> we were so full that we hopped back on the bus to, to go back to, to where we lived. And all of us, we, we, we're like in our own row, kind of diagonally reclined back. And every time the bus turned, like made a turn, we were all like, oh, (laughs) we were full to overflowing, I might say. But uh, like I said, fullest I've ever been in my life. Maybe not the best example, maybe not what we're shooting for, but we are on week number two of a series that we've been doing here at Ignite called Full uh, in a World That's Empty. And in this series, it's based on the book of Colossians, and we're talking about not physically uh, dealing with like hunger and, and that kind of stuff, but we're talking about something much more important, right? We're talking about uh, the fullness that comes to our souls uh, from G- in the person of Jesus Christ. And so we're learning to live in and walk with him and discover the fullness that you and I are born for. And, and to be honest, the fullness that we crave, that we, we, we don't even necessarily know how to put a, a label or a name to it sometimes, but it's the stuff all of us need and long for in our very souls and to our very core. And so we've been walking through, we're, we're starting to walk through, that we started it last week, this is week two, uh, started walking through this whole idea of fullness uh, that is found in, in the book uh, in Christ, uh, and we see this throughout the book of Colossians. Well, let me let me kind of come to what is our. It's sort of like the theme verse for the entire book of Colossians. It kind of sums up in some ways. It's a summary verse uh, of what the entire book is about. It's, it comes from Colossians two nine through ten. I'm just going to read it quickly here. It says this. It says, "For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form." By the way, what's deity? What's deity mean? 
God, right? So in, so it says, uh, in, for in Christ, all the fullness of God lives in bodily form, and in Christ, you too have been brought to fullness. And so these two ideas sort of flow through the, this entire book of the Bible, The first one is that in Christ is fullness in every possible way. He is fullness. Real, lasting fullness is found only in Jesus Christ, nowhere else. And secondly, the second kind of piece of that is that if you and I have put our faith and trust in Christ, then we too are in Christ, and we have this kind of fullness available to you and me that flows through him and into us. That's pretty much what the entire book of Colossians is about. It's either about the fullness and greatness of Jesus, or else it's about how you and I can live in that fullness of Jesus, right? That fullness and greatness of Jesus and what that looks like in the real world. In all honesty, I think both of these two concepts are pretty foreign to us, but I think the key to understanding and sort of stepping into the full life that you and I long for and crave is first to sort of wrap our minds and our hearts around this whole idea that fullness is found in Jesus Christ and nowhere else. That's what we're going to spend most of our time on. We're going to focus today. We're going to talk about the supremacy and the sufficiency of Jesus. I think most of the time our we have a very small picture of God. And you can tell this, uh, that we have a limited understanding of who he is by the kind of things that we go to and pursue and look to to try and find fullness. We mentioned some of those things last week, talking about pursuing pleasure or money or stuff or success or popularity or all, the, you know, all kinds of things that we tend to go to to try and find what our souls crave and what our souls long for. We feel empty, and so we go after something else. I'm, I've shared this once before, but I remember coming across this picture. It was like a meme in the day. It was maybe 10 years ago or five years ago. I don't know, something. Uh, but it was a meme of sorts that, that said, uh, you could have had God, but you chose light beer instead. <laughs> I, thought, I also thought that was so good because I'm like, man, that's exactly what we do. We have the opportunity to find fullness and life in Christ that is unlike, <laughs> unlike anything else you can possibly imagine. And yet we so often settle for lesser things, right? We settle for lesser things. So we think, well, I can't have that, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go here instead, or I'm going to try and numb it with this, or I'm going to try and find it by getting on my credit card and going for a shopping spree, or what? We try and find fullness in so many lesser ways. It's such a small picture of God. <laughs> it reminds me of the great theologian Homer Simpson, <laughs> but there's a this, there's this story, I remember uh, uh, one of the uh, episodes that um, Homer ends up making this uh, pledge to a telethon. It was for PBS, but he couldn't pay for it, but he felt, he felt compelled. To, so he made this huge gift. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you like, I don't remember, you know, $50,000 or something, but he couldn't pay it. And so the PBS people found out that he, he lied. And so they come after him and they, they force him to go uh, work with missionaries on this remote island. <laughs> and uh, what they're doing is these missionaries, and then Homer Simpson, of course, has to help out, but they build this church. And uh, and, and they step back when they're all done, and Homer says, well, I don't know, know that much about God, but we certainly have made a nice little cage for him, <laughs> right, kind of thing. And I just think, man, <laughs> I just think, man, so often, it, so often our view of Jesus and our picture of God is so limited, it's so small, we have no idea <laughs> The true picture of his vastness, of his power, of his glory, of his greatness. If we did, we would never look to those lesser things again. 
because in him is life and fullness, all that we crave for, all that we need. I listened to a message by um, Francis Chan. Um, he was talking about this whole idea of understanding fullness in Christ. And he said, he, he, I, I thought his points were, were great. He said, he said, we say all the time, oh yeah, I love having a relationship with Jesus. And now if only I could find a wife or a husband, if only I could get a better paying job, if only I could get a better wife maybe, then I would find fullness. I love knowing Jesus. I love being loved by God. And now if he could just fix this one little area in my life, or if he could just give me this one other little thing, then I'd be full. Then of everything, that, then I'd be satisfied. Then I'd have everything that I need. He goes on to say, man, if that's our mentality, then we don't really understand just how much we have in Christ. If we understood the fullness that is available through Jesus, we would never make those kind of statements. He said it's, it's basically like saying, uh, man, if I could have everything that Bill Gates owns. By the way, Bill Gates' net worth is about 100 billion dollars, right? Billion with a B. If I could just have what Bill Gates has and this music stand, right? Oh, then I would have, or, or if I could just have all that Bill Gates has and this little coffee cup, then my life would be complete. He's like, and, right? That's what, you're out of your mind. It's, it's just that foolish. It's ridiculous, but that's what we do. You don't need Jesus and some little trinket. You need Jesus, right? If you do, uh, if, we, if we do need those kinds of little trinkets and we don't really understand the fullness of life that we have in Christ. Well, that's exactly what's going on in the Colossian church. <laughs> They've started adding things to Jesus. All you need is Jesus and something else. And then, then we'd have it all. In their case, they, they wanted Jesus and some special knowledge. They wanted Jesus and some other kinds of things. They're adding things to Jesus. And so God uses the Apostle Paul to sort of speak into these Colossians, uh, into this Colossian church, and, and he does it in, in chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. And in it, God gives us one of the most compelling and complete pictures of the supremacy of how great the vastness and the sufficiency of Jesus in the entire Bible so we're going to go ahead, we're going to read it, we're going to walk through it, and then we're going to dig into it a little bit. Um, starts like this, verse 15. It says, the Son, I'm just going to insert Jesus every place that's talking about Jesus, okay? It says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is the firstborn over all creation. For in Jesus all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Jesus and for Jesus. He, Jesus, is before all things, and in Jesus all things hold together. And Jesus is the head of the body, the church. Jesus is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything Jesus might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through Jesus' blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, 
But now, Jesus has, or God has reconciled you by Jesus' physical body through his death to present you holy in his sight without blemish and free from accusation if you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. This is the gospel that you have heard and has been proclaimed to to has been proclaimed and is being proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. Now, I just want to, there's, there's at least seven different things that God has, seven different pictures that God is giving us of who Jesus is in the midst of this. I'm going to walk through these, some of them quicker than others, but it's a mind-bogglingly big picture of the supremacy of Christ. And I just want you, I want to, we're going to take it apart. I'm going to look at each one individually. Then we're going to try and put it back together. And then we're going to have some time to worship at the end because I think it'll be awesome. So anyway, here we go. First one is this, is that Jesus is the image of God, right? He is, God is not hidden. You don't have to wonder what God is like. And there's not two different gods. There's not an Old Testament angry God and a New Testament merciful God. There is only one God. And in Jesus, we get a picture of the one and only, the true God, God the Father, God the Son and God the Spirit. Jesus is God, which we'll see as we kind of go on from here in the next one, and is therefore the perfect representation of God. He's the image. The Greek word is actually icon, right? We know that word. He is the icon, a picture in human form of what God is really like. God has made himself known to us through Jesus so that you and I can come to know him so that we can see the forgiveness and the grace and the truth and the wisdom of Jesus and know that that is what God in all of his totality is like. He's a God who has revealed himself to, to us. He's knowable through Jesus. He's the image or the icon of the invisible God. Second one, uh, Jesus is the creator, the king of everything. And this is where it starts to kind of take it up a notch. It's, the implication is, is clearly in showing that Jesus is God. I mean, listen, listen to this language. Jesus is the creator. It says, all things were created in him or through him and for him. And that's talking about Jesus. Jesus is the creator. Everything that you see uh, has been created by Jesus. And in case we don't understand what everything means, they kind of give us a little list and start giving us some examples of just what that means. He lists uh, some examples saying he, he created the visible and the invisible. Now, that's crazy, right? I mean, he's saying not only did God create everything, uh, the, the all matter that we see in the here and now, the, the chairs, the people, right? I mean, the, all, the, all the basic elements that go into everything, right? The earth, the sun, the stars. Not only did he create that, not only did he create you, but he created things that are un, invisible, right? Things that you can't see as well. I'll give you just a few examples he created love, right? I mean, that's something you can't see. He created, he created air. He created the things that are on the, the atomic and subatomic levels, things that you can't see with your naked eye. He still created that. But even emotions, feelings, hope, love, I mean, all these kinds of things were created through Christ. I mean, think about that for a second. Christ was the creator. He was, he was the one that spoke through him. Everything spoke and everything came into being. There was nothing before him, and afterwards there was everything. Does that sound kind of powerful to you? Does that sound, I mean, a little bit like, I mean, let that sink in for a second. He created everything, visible and invisible. And then he goes on and says, thrones and powers and rulers and authorities, things in heaven and things on earth. It's all been created by Jesus. He rules and has authority over all creation. 
He's positionally, it says he's the firstborn. It's sort of a status word. He's over all creation. He not only is the creator, but he's over the creation, meaning it's under his care and rule and authority. Again, sort of imagery, but it means he's powerful. He's the Lord over creation. There is nothing that he cannot do. There's no sickness that he cannot heal. There's no darkness that he cannot overcome. There's no storm that he cannot still. He is powerful. He is present. He's the creator, and he is the king over all. I just need to say, I just need... Uh, going back to our, our example of I just need Jesus and, right? Like in, <laughs> I'll pick for a second, but sometimes we get these cute little plaques and I get it. I think they're funny. I'd probably have one too, but uh, I'm going to pick on the concept for a second. But we get these cute little plaques that say, I just need Jesus and a good cup of coffee, right? I just need Jesus and a good man, right? I just need Jesus and whatever. But like, are we seriously, I mean, I want you to think about it. Step back. We're talking about Jesus the one who is king, creator and king over everything, who spoke and the world came to existence. Are we really elevating coffee, right, to that level? I need Jesus and coffee? Are you serious? I love a good cup of coffee. Don't get me wrong, as much as the next person. But do you kind of see what I'm saying? These, this is, again, like I want everything Bill Gates has and this little clock. That would be awesome, right? Like why are we even talking about this? This is insane. He's the creator and king over everything. He created everything that is. He spoke and it came into being. Is there anything that is too hard for the Lord? Is there anything that is beyond his purview? Anything that he is not Lord over? Is there anything, anything happening in your life or in mine that he is not able to step into with authority? The Bible makes it incredibly clear that his will will be done. Sometimes he's working stuff out in the background. Don't get me wrong. You read the story of Joseph in the Old Testament, and you're like, where is God in the midst of the twists and turns? But you get to the end of his life, and you're like, oh. <laughs> like he was, he was working out his will all along. And the same is true in our world and in our lives. There is nothing that is too big, nothing that is too strong. The Christ cannot tame it. The Christ has not already probably put it under his feet. Right? He said, I'm, I am Lord over all. He's the king. He's the creator. Let me go back to that little phrase one more time. Everything is created by Christ or through Christ and for Christ. Christ. Let me just camp out on that little phrase for just a second because I think uh, probably the most important questions in life get answered by that little phrase. The, and by that I mean the, the big questions of like, why am I here? What is the purpose of my existence? Do I matter? The big questions of life get answered in those two, that, that, that one was two different parts of a phrase, but that you are created by him and by that part, I just mean like God crafted you. He made you. you he, he has plans for you. He has loved you. You matter because you are made by God. You're made in his image, right? He looked, at, he, he looked into the future and he's like, you know, I, I need 
a Chris, right? I need an Aaron. Like, he handcrafted you. He put you here for a reason. You are made by a creator who loves you, who has great purpose for your life. You're created by him, but you're also created for him. Can I just hit the pause button just say, man, despite what our world would tell you, your life is not about you. It's not about you being in the spotlight and being, oh man, yeah, sorry, I was, I'm taking a tangent in my head, but I'll stay on track. (laughs) We're made, we're made for his good pleasure. We're made for his glory. We're made for him. That's what our lives are about. I remember hearing one time, I mean, our lives are like a mirror, right? They're like, they're like meant to reflect the glory of God as he shines on us. We shine it back out. We reflect his glory, his goodness, his power, his whatever uh, to a world that desperately needs Jesus, right? That's, that's what we're about. We're about living for him and with him and for his glory. We're created by him and for him. We're not just left here on our own. We are created for a great purpose to bring glory and pleasure to him. Yeah. So Jesus is made in the, uh, is the image, the icon of God. He's, he's also the creator, the king of everything. I should keep going. Let's keep going here. Third one is this. Uh, Jesus is outside of time. I just think this is kind of cool. Uh, it's verse 17, right? It says, uh, he is before all things. And it goes on to say, he is the beginning. If you, if you read in Revelations, he says, not only is he the beginning, but he's also the end, right? He's the Alpha and Omega, right? This kind of thing. He is before all things, which means he is outside of the, before there was anything, you know who was there? Jesus is what the passage is saying, right? And after everything is done, everything is gone, the, uh, you know who's still going to be there? Yes, that's right. Absolutely. <laughs> From the mouths of babes, you have ordained praise. That's, that is awesome. Jesus, right? That's totally, he will be, uh, uh, why does this make a difference? Can I just say this? Why does this make a difference? Man, how many of us worry about the future? How many of us worry about or stress about or try to organize or arrange and try and take all the weight of the world on our shoulders because we're trying to make sure that in the future we've got everything worked out? Ever, anybody ever do that? Yeah. Only me? <laughs> no, yeah, right. And, and this, this passage reminds us, you know what? There... There is a savior named Jesus who is both, he's the creator, he is the king over all, and he is outside of time, which means before and after anything in your life, he is there and and all during the middle as well. He is present, he is powerful, and he holds all things in his hand. There is nothing too big, nothing too hard for the Lord. You know what? So much of the weight we carry around, you know what we're supposed to do with that? We're supposed to drop it at the feet of Jesus and follow and trust in him. Now, uh, I know, I mean, there's all kinds of things we can say with that. Well, yeah, that doesn't mean I have to do anything. And yeah, I, I get it. Yes, do we still have to live out our lives? Yeah, but we don't have to carry the weight of it because we've got a, a savior, a God, a king that is outside of it. He's bigger than that. You don't need to fear the future because Jesus is already there. He will be present and faithful. He is enough. Whatever may come, fullness is found in him. Fourth one, we'll go on to this. Jesus is the sustainer of all things. I thought this one was fascinating. He holds all things together. Jesus, in him, Jesus, in Jesus, all things are held together. That's a fascinating one. 
He's not just a God who created us or created the world and then backed off, right? And he just says, I'm watching from a distance, and let's just kind of let everything play out, and we'll see how it goes, right? That's, that's not, that is not how this works. He's also the God who is sustaining us minute by minute, second by second. He sustains. He holds all things together. He is intimately involved moment by moment in our lives, in our world, in our universe. He is strengthening and sustaining us. He holds all things together. He's holding us together. Every time we take a breath, it's a reminder of his sustaining presence of Jesus, holding all things together, sustaining us. I read an article uh, this week, uh, and it was this whole idea came up maybe, I don't know, five or ten years ago, but uh, a fascinating little, pro- about a fascinating little protein called laminin, and uh, it was, uh, I think, came, came into spotlight, especially in Christian circles through, uh, through uh, Louis Giglio, uh, but anyway, but this, this protein called laminin is something that, that basically, it's the glue that holds our cells, our bodies, and our organs all together. Laminin basically has arms that hold together our skin and our organs, our cells even, together. It provides support and attachment for us in our bodies. And the crazy thing about this protein, laminin, is that it literally is in the shape of a cross. Isn't that cool? It's literally, that's the shape of it. This is out of a secular textbook, by the way. That's not even like a Christian interpretation of it or something. It's in the shape of the cross. Now, I'm not literally saying that this is intentional, that God made it that way, but he might have, right, intentionally. Right? He, he might have. Like that's, but, but the thing that's cool, I, and I just, I just thought this was awesome. But in the same kind of way Colossians tells us, God is telling us through Colossians that God, that Jesus, literally holds all things together like that. He is like the laminin in our bodies. He's the laminin in creation, in our world, in our universe. He is the one that sustains and holds all things together. He's present. He is powerful. He is our sustainer. Why does this matter? Because he is more than enough to hold you together as well. No matter what comes, he can sustain you. He can strengthen you. He can heal you. He can put the pieces back together in your life. He's, a, he's enough to hold things together no matter the storm. I wonder if some of us need to hear that today and just be reminded when our worlds feel like they're falling apart, when internally even we're struggling and we feel like the bottom is dropping out to know that Christ is not only creator God, but he's also sustainer God, right? That he is present and can hold, will hold all things together. Some of us today probably just need to turn back to him and say, Jesus, would you take the pieces and would you just hold them together? Would you heal and sustain and give strength and life to me once again? Some of us just need to turn towards him and let him put the pieces back together in our lives. Fifth one is this. Jesus is head slash Lord over his church, right? He's the head of the body, the church, talks about. Here's literally what this means. He is the head. He is the king. He is the Lord. He is the leader. He is the one that is in charge of his church. His church, which is who? Us, his people, right? You and me, anybody that has put their faith and trust in Christ. He says he is the head. He is the king. He is the Lord over 
He founded the church. He saved the church. He directs the church. He leads his church to carry out his purpose and his will to bring his kingdom here into our world. He is the head and we are his body. And I don't know about you, but sometimes I just need to be reminded of that. Because here's, here's the thing that's true about this. If our bodies are working correctly, then the hands and the arms and the feet and the legs, they don't have to necessarily, uh, they don't have uh, to think through or know all kinds of things. They just need to obey what the head tells them to do. You know what I'm saying? If you tell your hand to move, hopefully it moves. If not, there's a problem in the body, is there not? Right? We'd go to the doctor. If you're trying to move your arm and you can't, that's a problem. That's some sort of disease has taken over, right? Because the job of the body is basically to follow the instructions of the head. Is to, is to, you know, it tells us to walk, we walk. It tells us to stoop down, we stoop down. It tells us to serve, we serve. It tells us to love, we love, right? If the body is working correctly, the job of the body is to follow the instructions of the head. Well, in that kind of way, right? God says, Jesus is the head of the body, and you are all members. You are meant to be a part of the body. In fact, you are. If you're in Christ, you are a part of the body. And what's our role? Our role is to follow the instructions of the head, right? We're supposed to follow Jesus in this deal. And that's not just a good intellectual thing of saying, oh, yeah, I'm a Christ follower. No, I mean, that's real practical hands and feet kind of stuff. You what does Jesus say? Does he say we're to serve the poor? Well, guess what the job of the body is? To serve the poor, right? What's the job? I mean, are we supposed to worship God? Well, guess what? Our, our role is to follow what Jesus says, right? To live what he says. That's just, that's just part of the deal. It's, it sounds weird and it's somewhat anti-American because we're all about, well, I'll do whatever I want, you know, kind of thing. But no, Here's the weird thing. The path to fullness, the fullness that we crave, we think it's found in independence, doing my own thing and having my own way, going my own way, all this kind of stuff. It's not true. It's, that whole thing is a lie. Fullness is found as we yield to Christ, as we walk in Christ. We'll get to that even more in a second. But man, that's where the good stuff is at. I have to say the, the cool thing too is it also takes so much of the weight off of us. It does. Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You want to know why that is? Because I don't have to understand everything about everything. I don't have to try and control everything about everything. I don't have to have all the answers. You know what my job is? I'm trying to follow to the best of my ability. I'm trying to live with him and in him and follow him. Because he's the head. It's true for all of us, I have to say, especially as a pastor, I find that in incredibly comforting at times. Uh, and I got this from Bill Bright, but I, I did that just this week. But the, this little phrase, uh, Bill Bright, founder of Campus Crusade, known as Crew and all, all kinds of stuff. But he used to say, man, the thing is, I'm a servant of Christ. The big decisions and the big weight-filled things, that's above my purview. <laughs> and so he's like, if, if we had a situation where something broke down and we needed money, you know, he'd say, he'd say literally, he'd say, God, you got a problem. <laughs> like, it's a, he's like, I'm not the head. God, I, but you, you see the... You see how that takes the weight off of us? He's the one that's in control. He's the one that's king. He's the one that is head over all for his body, his church. That's you. That's me. Our job is to simply follow where he leads. His yoke is easy and his burden is light because he's in the yoke with us. He's doing the heavy lifting. He's got the vision. He's got the direction. Our job is to follow along with him. 
It's really that simple. And like I said, as a pastor especially, I find this incredibly comforting. I did it just this week where there was some weighty stuff that was weighing on me. I'm like, I, I feel the temptation and the whatever. I got to have an answer. I got to know what to do and I got to whatever. And Christ just reminds me, yeah, I got this. I'm the head over the church. I got this. Your job is to follow me. And that's not just for pastors. It's for you too. Your job is to follow Christ. He's the head. Okay, I have no idea where I am, but we'll just kind of keep going uh, from there. Uh, number six, Jesus is the source of resurrection. He's the source of new life. I'm going to read this eight, uh, verse 18 and then 20 through 23 because I want you to get the full picture of this. He says, he, Christ, is the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything Christ might have supremacy. <laughs> I love that. For God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his bloodshed on the cross. Verse 21, once you, you and me, we were alienated from God and you were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now Christ has, or God has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy or perfect in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel. And he says, this is the gospel. This is the good news. This is the, the central message about Jesus that spreads like wildfire in the first century and is still increasing and expanding today. This simple message is still transforming people's lives. It's transformed my life. It's transformed some of your lives today. Jesus is the source of resurrection. He is resurrection. He is new life, right? I mean, it goes back to what we talked about in the last series. Not only is, that, is his resurrection good news for Jesus, which it is, right? He conquered death. He conquered hell. He conquered sin, right? He has come back. He is victorious, but it's good news for you too. It's good news for me too. Our faith, this is the foundation of our faith, because he lives, we can live. Because he conquered death, there is eternal life available to you and me. And he goes on to talk about it, right? That's available as we put our faith and trust in Jesus. That's where it comes from. As we hold on to the hope that we have in Christ because he has died for our sins and has conquered them and come back to life. Now he offers to bring us back into relationship with God the Father and Right, all of God, right? <laughs> to have a spirit live inside of us. He's assured of He's assured of us of forgiveness for our past. He's, he says, I will be with you always in the present. And he assures us that there is eternal life waiting, starting today on through to eternity. It's available. That's the hope that we have in Christ. If you hold on to that, if you continue to grow in your faith in Christ and walk with him and in him and follow him, right? That kind of thing. He said, man, there is a glorious future in store for you. You have nothing to fear. You have nothing to worry about. There is, yeah, I got an amen from back there. <laughs> there is fullness available to you through Christ because he is the source of resurrection. He is the source of new life. Why does that matter? Man, it matters for everything, doesn't it? It matters for us to know that we can, we can be made new. We can put that crap from our past behind. Our past does not have to determine our future, right? Our past can be cut off, snipped off, and thrown into the deepest part of the sea, right? The Bible says, put a no fishing sign in there, right? We, we can, it can be cast off of us as far as the east is from the west. We can be freed and forgiven and made new 
And Christ says, man, I have something in store for you. You can't even imagine. I will come and forgive you for your past. I'll be with you in your present. And, and just come and follow me. It's going to be better than you could possibly imagine. I have life in store for you. New life. Oh, it's the good stuff, friends. Fullness is found right there. If you have never opened up your heart and life to Christ like that, do it today. You do not want to miss out on this. And that takes us back to the last one, which is, again, sort of the theme of our entire uh, series. But Jesus is fullness, if you can kind of go on to that one. Jesus is fullness, it says. God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in Jesus, which is almost, I mean, it's a little bit confusing. Because if you think about all of the fullness of God, how much fullness is there in God? Right? We, we like to say terms like, I mean, in the Bible, this is one of the most common phrases using to describe God the Father is that he is holy. You know what holy means? In fact, he'll say it three times because he's perfect. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Right? I mean, that kind of thing. The picture of that, it means he is complete. He is perfect. He is without sin. He has need of nothing because he is whole. Holy, right? He is whole and complete on his own. That's what, that's what the Bible says. And it says it over and over and over. It's, they're like, I don't even have words for it. That's uh, basically the, the kind of idea. He is just so perfect and so whole. I can't even, they say it three times because uh, I don't know, whole, whole, holy. That's what he is. He's that good. He's like the wholeness then of, of God, the Father, is put into Jesus, right? He's saying all the fullness of God is poured into Jesus and therefore is also available to you and to me. Not because we deserve it. Are you kidding me? Not because, not because we even have capacity, but we can step into that with Christ because fullness is found in Jesus. Why go anywhere else? Right? Why would we go to like, oh, I need this little clock, Jesus and this little, right? I mean, why, why would we go anywhere else? You could have had God, but you chose light beer instead. Like, why would we do that? The fullness of God is available. And because of Christ, he says, come on in. Come on into my fullness. Come on into my life. Come on into my joy. And follow me. You will not be sorry. I just want, to, I want you to listen to this sort of big picture. Again, those, those are all the, the seven different pieces there. I want to bring it back out for a second and just, just listen to this. I want you to listen to how many times he is appears in this passage. Listen, listen to this. He is the image of the invisible God, right? He is before all things. In him, all things hold together. In him, right, he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from the dead, right? It says, by him and through him, all things were created, and they were created for him, right? It goes on to say, in him, all things hold together through him to reconcile to himself all things. And then it says, in everything, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. And God was pleased to have all of his fullness dwell in him. Friends, Christ Jesus is the preexistent. He's the creator, the sustainer, the redeemer. He's the resurrected Lord of all creation and the church. He's an icon, the visible image of the invisible God who dwells in him fully and whom Jesus represents perfectly. 
He holds a position of absolute prominence and power as God's son and the world's savior who died on a cross to reconcile and make peace between God and us. Christ is the beginning. He is supreme, it says. God is blessed to have all of his fullness live in him. Who is Jesus Christ? Right? He is the sovereign Lord. He is the ruler. He is the master and commander of the universe. He's the boss. He is God. Paul's intent in sharing this is to, to so enlarge our view of Jesus as to dwarf everything else that's going on in our lives. He's the king of kings. He is the Lord of lords. He is fullness and completeness. There's a story, I've shared it before, but and I'll kind of close up and wrap up with this. But uh, it says this, Donald Barnhouse, uh, well-known pastor and scholar and author and all that kind of stuff in the 20th century, he talked about going back to uh, Princeton Theological Seminary to speak. He got invited back like a dozen years later, and one of his professors, uh, Dr. Wilson, uh, came to Miller Chapel to hear him speak. And uh, at the close of the meeting, this uh, old professor came back up to him, and he's kind of an eccentric fellow. He kind of cocks his head to one side, and in his characteristic way, he extends his hand out and says, if you come back again, I won't come to see you. <laughs> and you're like, what? I won't come here to, pre to hear you preach again. He said, I only come once. He said, but I'm glad you're a big godder. He says, when my boys come back, I always come to see if they're a big godder or a little godder, and then I know how their ministry is going to be. Barnhouse was like scratching his head. He's like, what are you talking about? And he goes on to say, well, some men have a little God, and they're always in trouble with him. He can't do many miracles. He can't take care of the inspiration and transmission of the scriptures to us. He doesn't intervene on behalf of his people. They have a little God, and I call them little godders. He goes on to say, but then there are those that have a great God. He speaks, and it is done. He commands, and it stands fast. He knows how to show himself strong on behalf of them that fear him. He says, you have a great God, and he will bless your ministry. He paused for a second, and he smiled, and he said, God bless you, and he walked away. Now, I think there's something in that that is so right on. People are always in difficulty with their faith because their God is too small. If they could just once see the true God, the true Jesus, right? If they could just once get the perspective that sees him as filling all in all, then the difficulties of this life would rapidly diminish to their proper proportion. Christ knows all. He is all-powerful. He is unchanging. He is eternal. He is never failing. He has never made a mistake. There is never a moment when something happened that he didn't see coming. He's always known. He has always decreed all things. The question is, are you a big God or do you have faith in a God, in a Christ, in a Savior like that? Because there is one true God. He is all sufficient. Everything that you need, fullness in life and joy, the answers that we are looking for, they are all found in him. He is everything. He holds life and joy and peace and forgiveness in his hands. He is all sufficient. He is the one-stop shopping center, right? So why would we go anywhere else? He has everything that we need, everything that we long for. He is everything that we long for, whether we know it or not. He is supreme. He is full. He is sufficient. Now, this has all kinds of implications, all kinds of application, but today I just want to keep it pretty simple. I just want to keep coming back to why would we go anywhere else when we are feeling empty or lonely or hurting? 
Would you turn to Christ, our creator, our sustainer, the one that is present and powerful, the one that is all in all. Would you look to him to fill you? Right? When things are, are going well or when we feel like our world is falling apart, would you come to the sustainer? Would you, would you turn back to him? When things are going well and he shows himself faithful, would you come back to him and, and just express your joy and your worship to a God that is so worthy, that is so deserving? Why go anywhere else? Well, I'm going to do two more things, uh, and then we're going to be done for the day. The first one is this. I've got a video. Uh, it's kind of a remix of one that we've shown before, but it's, it's a great, it's, it's from an a African-American pastor uh, from, I think this is in the 70s. He, it's one of the best messages probably ever done anywhere. And, uh, and so it's, uh, we're going to listen to this as a way to kind of lead us in. And then I want, to, I want us to spend our last minutes together just worshiping King Jesus together. All right, let's, let's roll the, the video, I'll pray, and then we're going to worship. The Bible says my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings, and he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder do you know him. He's the greatest phenomenon powerful, for being all-knowing, for being present, uh, and Lord over creation. Uh, thank you for uh, sustaining and uh, just being, yeah, being at work here in our midst and in our, our lives, in our universe, uh, that you are here. Lord, I pray that even in these moments that our hearts would just bubble up with praise, would bubble up with worship. 
draw us close, lift our eyes to you. May our uh, picture of you, may you increase and may we decrease, God. Be honored, be glorified. We love you. We thank you for your greatness. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. We're going to take some time to just praise Jesus. And the song, Jesus is Better, is going to fit that just perfectly. Let's sing it with all our hearts.